Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. Is it possible to do to the car rental industry what Airbnb has done for travel accommodation? That is Getaround's thesis, as it runs a marketplace where people can rent out their personal cars for short trips, and it announced a $900 million combination agreement with Interprivate 2 Acquisition Corp. in May. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Melina Haddad and I speak with Getaround founder and CEO Sam Zaid. We talk about how the pandemic accelerated shifts in the way we drive and how car sharing fits into the future. Interprivate 2 chairman and CEO Ahmed Fatou also joins to discuss why Getaround fits the profile of companies that the market is ready for now. As a serial SPAC sponsor, Ahmed also shares his take on how the SPAC landscape is shaping up heading into the end of the year. Take a listen. So Sam, I just want to start at the beginning a little bit. You've been building Getaround's platform for over a decade, and that time period has seen a ton of change in the ride-hailing and transit-slash-travel marketplace um, kind of sectors, I guess, of tech these days. And just how different is Getaround now from, uh, in terms of a concept from, from what you started with, and, and how have you changed your model over time? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, so yes, there's been a lot of evolution in, in mobility and transportation, certainly over the past 10 years. The short answer is, we haven't really changed our vision since the beginning. Um, we actually started getting around just over 10 years ago. We did it because, you know, we just saw this world problem we have with car overpopulation where we're part, you know, using cars less than 5% of the day. There's about 1.2 billion of them globally. We waste 30 billion car hours daily and they're very expensive, right? Car ownership costs about 27% of average household income. They've become increasingly expensive, you know, 11% more than last year, for example. And then, you know, I think what has shifted is now with remote work, hybrid work, people are commuting less. So the business case for even owning a car changes dramatically. That We felt this way since 2011. I and mean, we just felt strongly that the system was really inefficient, that people would share cars. Um, if, like many other industries, technology just made that easier. And that's why when uh, you know, we started Get Around, we... We didn't just start a marketplace. We started a digital car sharing marketplace where, you know, we made it, we wanted to make your phone, your car key. And so you could just like book a car, be gone in 60 seconds, have a fully digital experience in getting that vehicle. And that's why early on, I mean, I think our first patents dated 2009, we really started developing both software and hardware technology to transform vehicles from, you know, these cars that are are sort of dumb into fully connected, much smarter, much more intelligent cars that you could then deliver and build this digital experience on top of. And so that hasn't changed. We actually, we, we had that vision from the start. We did, it did take us a while to, to build the technology and to get it, you know, um, operationalized and, and to, you know, get the comfort to, to take it to market. The vision from the start was really being fully digital, being a marketplace. Um, and we've certainly the product is iterated, but, you know, sort of stayed true to that mission. When we looked at why we started getting around to begin with, you know, the shift away from everyone owning cars from, you know, this this really inefficient model, it is about the economics of, of, of making it much more efficient for people. But it's also the fact that these are polluting machines and getting one of the, one of the fascinating things about car sharing is that you, when you actually look at the data, this is well studied by the Sustainability and Transportation Research Group out of UC Berkeley, is that households that go car free or go car light actually reduce their overall driving. And so shifting people away from ownership towards sharing actually on a household basis reduces your carbon emission footprint by about 34 to 41%. So when we were looking at getting around, you know, 10 years ago, we're like, 
you know, if we create this marketplace and make it easy for people to share cars, it means less driving, less congestion, less emissions overall. And then the other piece, you know, more recently, and certainly we did this ahead of California, was we pledged to only have EVs on the marketplace by 2040 and, you know, beginning in 2030 to stop accepting ICE cars. And so that's been really important to us as well, which is shifting the marketplace to be becoming increasingly electrified. And we're working on a number of things there to make it easier for people, you know, to purchase um, and finance EVs to share on get around and really help more and more people drive tailpipe emission free. So both of those are our core to the mission of the company, you know, shifting people to, to live car free and give, live car light because of the inherent benefits to how much they drive and, and electrifying the marketplace. Um, we believe both of those can and will have a massive environmental impact. Totally. And for Ahmed, just sort of seeing how much time has gone into, you know, GetAround's development and, and, and getting those different facets of its platform developed. I'm, I'm just interested in what sort of stood out to you in terms of just seeing this as a company that was really ready to take the, the next step into the public markets. Yeah, you know, um, some members of our team had actually uh, been familiar with GetAround for a very long time, uh, had worked at, at venture funds that had looked at or even participated in earlier rounds uh, at GetAround. And so we were familiar with the company from the get-go. Uh, and uh, I think that what stood out to us as we looked at Peer Group, which is not that large, um, is, is GetAround had an actual fundamental technology advantage with the GetAround Connect uh, device that goes into the cars that really creates a very seamless process for, for the user base in terms of customers who want to come in and actually within 30 seconds or a minute be able to book a car and just get in very frictionless. And, and that to us is the definition of, of, of a real tech company where the technology is making the experience substantially different. And GetAround seems to be one of the few companies that actually benefited from the pandemic with more idle cars available to be shared on your platform. So I'd be interested to hear just exactly how the company was able to capture growth during that time. And how are you maintaining that momentum now that many people are back to using their cars more often again? It's a great question. So I'll start by saying that I think the COVID era was, uh, was in the pandemic era was definitely an interesting and challenging time for us on many friends, but a lot of growth, as you pointed out, both growth in terms of top line, but also just, I think, growth in, in terms of the, the focus and strategy and the team itself. To your last point, we actually think the secular change towards remote work, hybrid work, you know, people are using their cars more than during the pandemic. They're actually using them less than pre-pandemic. And that's sort of a shift that's ongoing. We believe that's actually very, very beneficial in terms of the you know, short, medium, long-term as being a secular um, tailwind for us. You know, the way we actually grew through the pandemic, um, well, we did a couple of things. First, we actually focused really on the fundamentals of the business. So that was really about, you know, driving up margins, you know, really honing in on, on profitability and how we drive the whole organization to become profitable. We tipped our top 20 markets in aggregate to becoming profitable. So there's a lot of focus around just business fundamentals and operating efficiency. And we actually grew uh, through the benefit of the marketplace we've built and a lot of the natural uh, that flywheel and natural network effects. One of the great things about the technology is, as, um, as Ahmed was mentioning is it makes it really easy for you to rent a car, but also if you're a host and you're sharing the car, it takes a lot of the work out there as well, right? Normally, if you're doing this in the very manual analog way, you've got to meet people, you've got to give them a physical key, pick up the car, return the car, figure out how much fuel is used manually, read the odometer, all of these things. That stuff goes away, right? And so what it means is a lot of our, our hosts who become entrepreneurs are able to actually 
they were able to thrive through the pandemic by actually working from home and managing their cars remotely and actually even increasing you know those fleets and so we really saw a lot of growth in our entrepreneur sec uh, segment through the pandemic and that is um all growth that comes sort of like it's not like we're reacquiring them that is expansionary and those cohorts are expansionary and so that allowed us to continue growing despite the fact that i think there were a lot of challenges um, you know for a lot of companies especially in mobility through that time frame and then in terms of your partnerships, specifically your partnership with Uber, how has that helped you expand and how do you see that relationship taking shape over time? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because Uber is actually a partnership we set up very much, uh, you know, right before the pandemic in 2019, and it was growing really quickly for us. So A, a we thought it was a great partnership. Um, just to give a bit of background, it, it's really the only partnership where Uber driver can, can very quickly link their Uber and GetAround accounts. They can search for cars that hosts have made available to Uber drivers. They can you know, instantly book and rent that car, get into it, and start all that stuff populates automatically into their Uber driver profile, and they can start making money, right? So it's like normally that process, if you don't own a car and you're an Uber driver, is a very, very arduous long one. And so we collapse that all into a matter of minutes. So you can go from not being a driver to being an Uber driver and start you know, earning extra extra income. And that was growing very quickly. Of course, during the pandemic, rideshare was heavily, heavily impacted. And, and so that hasn't been as much of a driver for us through that period. But we fully expect this year and next year that it's going to be very, very interesting. You know, just another customer segment for growth, building on top of our digital marketplace, really leveraging the technology platform we've built. That's interesting. And, you know, just speaking of Uber, you know, there was that period of time, and I guess it's still, you know, kind of a, a thing to this day, and just in terms of when it was just the buzzy thing to call whatever new startup it was, the Uber of this, you know, and just in kind of creating a digital marketplace that's connected and all that kind of stuff. But in a lot of ways, I mean, to fall into that same trope, I mean, get around looks a lot more like kind of the Airbnb of cars, but even how accurate is that description? How do you view yourselves and and, and how do the the business models and sort of the pricing and all that differ between some of those different models yeah you know it's, it's interesting because i think when we when we raised our first seed round we called ourselves the airbnb of cars um <laughs> and that was just partially because it's the easiest thing for people to sort of just grasp in an instant <laughs> but it is an apt description right because if you think of what type of marketplace is get around really closer to we're not really a labor marketplace right you're not renting somebody's time or paying them to drive you around what you're really doing, we're really more of an asset marketplace where, you know, much like Airbnb, the leverage is in the asset and you're, you know, booking that asset for a period of time. And so we are very much similar to, you can think of us like Airbnb for cars. We have hosts who provide those cars, guests who book them. I think the key difference is that the Airbnb experience is very much mediated by people, right? You send a request, the host accepts that request, and you coordinate getting in. And so there's a lot of manual and sort of like human involvement in that whole experience. And the big difference, obviously, with GetAround and what we felt for mobility, particularly for cars, is you have to get rid of all that. And so that's why we went down the digital technology path. And so we are like an Airbnb, but with that digital technology that, that really takes a lot of friction out of the experience. And we think that's a great analogy, actually. It's, it's very close to what we do. There's a lot of similarities. You have a lot, a lot of consumers who are just sharing one or two cars, but then you also have a growing ecosystem of entrepreneurs who are starting to build the larger fleets and think there's a lot of interesting dynamics and, and opportunity for folks on both sides of the marketplace in that. 
Totally. And I, and I want to get into the operations just a little bit. And, and honestly, it is uh, similar to the Airbnb Uber discussion, just in the fact that you're growing your volumes on the platform really fast, but it, it does appear like you're kind of prizing that growth. And I guess the very near term over immediate profitability, but I found it interesting. You're mentioning that, you know, you're already profitable in, in some of your markets. So I'm just curious, some of your, your thoughts in terms of just how do you balance that? You know, because the market in the very, you know, immediate term snapshot is really looking for cash generation, but you know, those wins kind of come and go, but for your own trajectory, you know, what, how do you balance those two things, you know, of like, well, we can see the growth that we can, we can capture if we just keep the pedal to the metal versus getting to that first EBITDA positive quarter and, and, and getting that more consistent moving forward. No, I mean, I think I, it's, it's a great question. It is something obviously top of mind for us and it's something we're balancing very carefully. I mean, historically, if you look pre-pandemic, so it's very, very fast growth, but it's hard to grow that quickly and, and also be super efficient at the same time, right? It's just, you know, you know, there's so much stuff going on. You've got to sort of keep the machine running and you don't have time to build everything in the most scalable and efficient way. On a look forward basis, you know, we're guiding to, to much more profitable growth. Um, and that is... Um, and it is all about profitability in the day. It's, it's continuing to grow the business at that sustainable clip. It's about enhancing margins gradually to continue to drive that oper operational efficiency. And that is prudence over costs and expenditures, particularly fixed costs. And that's how we think about it. We just, you know, we want the right amount of growth and the balance of really being margin and, and profitability focused. And we believe that like continuing to do that over the next couple of years is, is really all it takes to get the company to profitability. Now, there's a lot of exciting things that can happen beyond that uh, with respect to some of the partnerships we've talked about with Uber, a number of the partnerships that you know we have with um, OEMs for native car integration. Uh, we just announced, we brought our partnership from Europe with Kayak over to the US. We just announced that. So there's a lot of obviously interesting things that come along the way as well. But, but the core focus is just growing profitable growth and, uh, and really being focused as a company on, on getting to that EBITDA generation phase. And I think that's, that's consistent with how the market has evolved as well. You know, we've gone from a zero rate environment where growth at all costs was rewarded to a higher and increasing rate environment. And with the knock-on effects in terms of risk appetite in the investor universe, which we're obviously always mirroring uh, as, as a sponsor is very focused on making sure that if a company comes public, it has the capital it needs to execute its business plan and isn't relying on, on the notion that they could come back and tap the public markets again very soon. Oftentimes in the earlier iteration of the SPAC boom or the earlier phases of the SPAC boom, folks were coming out with partly funded business plans, capital intensive businesses that would raise money successfully, but knew that they were going to have to raise more money. And in, in, that, in the current environment, I think it's critical for folks to analyze businesses and understand, is this, does this company need to come back for more equity? And Definitely. And just going off of that, just how large do you expect the market for car sharing to become? And what are the factors pushing it on both the supply and the demand side? Yeah, I mean, I guess the way we look at the opportunity from where we are is that it, it's very, very early innings. So this is a transformation fundamentally in, it's really two disruptions. It's a transformation and a disruption of personal car ownership, which is a multi-trillion dollar market spend every year, and of car rental, which is a $100, 150000000000 billion market 
itself. And, you know, a lot of these are very, very, um, you know, they haven't been disrupted as much by technology yet. They're sort of very entrenched and, you know, in the ways things have been done for the past 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And when you think about the opportunity, it's like, it, it just does not make financial sense for everybody to own one or two cars and to use them a few percentage points, right? It's, it's like, if that were the fleet of the USA, it's, you'd be bankrupt. And so the there really is a transformation coming where you're going to disrupt that spend and shift it away from ownership towards access. And we so we feel that the opportunity here over the next only gets bigger and only gets bigger faster over the next couple of years, the next five years, the next decade. So we're really looking at this on the very on the horizon as car, cars become increasingly connected, which is happening now. It's all of a sudden now you've got the power of the internet, data and connectivity in the vehicle. That's going to be transformational cars become smarter, more sense, you know, more sensors, more intelligence, all of those things to make it easier and easier for consumers to share cars. And really that combined with some of the secular shifts we already spoke about, like remote work, hybrid work, will move consumers eventually away from the idea that everybody needs to own a vehicle. And that is a massive, massive disruption. That means, you know, you're going to get to a car sharing market that's potentially, you know, over a trillion dollars. And indeed, one of the, uh, one of the things that people talk about, of course, there's concerns about inflation, there's concerns about recession, you know, obviously put those together, you can have the very undesirable stagflationary environment. But when you think about that, um, you know, if the cost of car ownership is going up, and people's uh, balance sheets and incomes are coming down, uh, it sort of accelerates the shift to focus on efficiency, much more so than in a pre-pandemic world where you had sort of zero money down, very low cost, get you into a car, you know, at a very low monthly payment. It just wasn't worth the hassle of even thinking about doing anything else other than buying a car. Uh, and, and with the supply chain problems now, I mean, good luck trying to find a car at any sort of reasonable price. Um, and then if you find one, financing it in the environment we're in now can easily have, uh, you know, monthly carrying costs that are, are, are substantially higher. Um, so I, I think that adoption of uh, of uh, of ride sharing, uh, you know, could benefit from that. I, I really hope we're not going into a stagflationary environment, but uh, but for the average user, um, the delaying of a purchase of a car or the decision not to own one uh, has become easier. Yeah, I was going to add one more thing, which is the other transformation that everyone's very well aware of is the electrification of cars, right? And when you think about EVs, they are much more sophisticated software machines and computers, and you, if you don't have connectivity and data, like you can't really use an EV. And so um, that transformation is also going to drive a lot more capability into the personal car. And at the same time, that capability will mean that you can create much more intelligent ways of using those cars, sharing those cars. So, you know, between the connected car, the electric car, the autonomous car, those successive changes in terms of the, the fabric of the personal vehicle um, will really start to rip apart the idea that people own so many vehicles. And you seem to be expanding in a lot of different directions, both within the United States and abroad. So how exactly do you balance new market expansion versus densifying where you already are? And what exactly does that rollout look like in each market? Yeah, you know, that's a really, a really great question you're picking up on. And it, it has to do with the marketplace dynamics. And certainly the way we're thinking about growth from here over the next you know, a couple of years is is generally more, it's a lot more about densification, bringing more cars and more choice to consumers 
versus like just adding more and more markets. We just expect that our growth will come through a, a strategy of densification and then the balance will come through, you know, geographic expansion. Now, when we say that we're also, whenever we're densifying, we're also expanding adjacently. So we're going from, you know, one area in a market or city and then increasing the, the coverage area. But generally, yeah, the most efficient for us is, is always densification. Uh, we planted a lot of seeds over the past couple of years through COVID. And so really the focus of this growth capital is fundamentally about really increasing the density of cars, the choice of cars, the proximity to the consumer, um, and just making it easier and easier for consumers to rely and use the service when they need, whenever they need to. And so the gig economy seems to be getting a lot of criticism for having some difficult economics for workers in certain situations. But GetAround seems like a platform where the car supplier has a potential to actually scale their commerce within it. So how exactly are you encouraging that? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I mean, the difference in most gig economies, you're selling your time. You only have so much time in the day. And, you know, a lot of the marketplaces obviously want to pay you less for your time. And so that creates a real tension. In our case, that's not what we're doing. You're, you're, you're renting out an asset and you can, you can finance that asset. You can get multiple assets. And so that's really the beauty. Unlike, you know, I, I think Airbnb is the best analogy versus a lot of these gig marketplaces. But, um, you know, in Airbnb, you can get a home. You, you, can, you can always go to the second home and a third home and start you know, building up, but that, that actually takes a lot of capital and it's a little trickier to buy, you know, home than it is to get cars. So one of the beautiful, you know, things we find on the supply side is that you can actually become, you know, if you're entrepreneurial and most people who share their car are naturally entrepreneurial, um, you know, they're go-getters, you can start, you know, scaling up and you can do that in a very capital efficient and a much, you know, it's much easier to acquire cars. And so um, we think that that presents a lot of leverage in the business, um, obviously both for the marketplace and for us as a whole, but for you know any of those individual entrepreneurs who are looking to scale up how much they're earning off GetAround. Great. And you know, moving over to the deal side of things a little bit more, as we mentioned, it is a rough market out there, but how did you come to the decision that now was the right time to go public, uh, You know, especially when you've raised a great deal of venture capital to this point successfully? To be honest, we've been operating and preparing to go public for quite some time. And I think in our case, we felt we had a good, a really good, early this year, we saw a great opportunity to partner with, with Ahmed and the inner private team to go public. We just think that gives us a unique opportunity, opportunity to really double down on a number of growth and strategic opportunities that we have in front of us, particularly in the current market where, you know, a lot of folks are having a hard time um, raising capital. And really, unlike the cohort of more recent SPAC deals, you know, we have committed capital, $175 million of committed capital that comes with the closing of this transaction. And so when we look at the balance of should we go public and, and what does this deal look like? The tremendous opportunity for growth in front of us, the committed capital, you know, the inter-private team being so experienced in both um, late stage technology investing and in SPACs themselves. Um, and the fact that, as we just spoke about, we're not playing for today. You know, we're playing, we're not playing for right now, right? We feel this transaction gives us what we need to execute on our plans so that we can really, you know, build through this transformation we just spoke about over the next one, two, five, ten years. So that's how we thought about it was really probably more long-term oriented with a really great opportunity, great partners with, with committed growth capital, you know, in a market that's generally tough for, I think, a lot of higher growth companies. I mean, we're seeing this in terms of the universe of, of deals we look at, and there are companies like GetAround who can benefit from a going public transaction. To your point, a lot of capital was raised, and that's actually the reason that a lot of companies decide to get public, because they have 
tap the private markets and continuing to do more and more private rounds. I mean, that was part of our premise when we first got into this back business several years ago, that there were a lot of companies that have done a lot of rounds and raised a lot of private capital. And at some point that actually becomes a little cumbersome. You have lots of different investors who entered at different times at different prices and have different incentives. And, and when you get public, everybody ends up in, in, uh, in the same security and gets a lot of alignment and, and just makes the, the capital structure um, clean and, and ready for, uh, for, for future investments. So there are still companies that uh, see value to that. And I think it's particularly companies that have raised so much privately, the, uh, the, 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 the process of having a, a clean and lightweight capital structure post-closing is attractive. And if you combine that with the certainty that you know having a, a SPAC transaction that does have a, a capital commitment attached to it can offer, um, you know, this is sort of a textbook case where if this was a regular way IPO, it would probably have had to be delayed right now. But because it's a SPAC transaction with commitments in place, um, you know, it, it can get completed uh, and deliver the capital that the company is expecting. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of what I wanted to get to as well, uh, you know, specifically with you, Ahmed, just because, you know, you came to this deal having already closed the tra SPAC transaction with the LiDAR maker EVA in 2021. And just sort of how did the experience of that deal inform your approach a little bit and, and your sort of your feel for the market? I mean, obviously, this is a very different slice of the automotive market in terms of how it functions. But, you know, just sort of, you know, how did that experience go and, how, and what did you carry over into this one? Yeah, they're different companies at different stages um, and, and different market environments. Um, so I, I think that Getaround is a more mature company with a bigger team, has a model that uh, that people can look at and, and recognize is uh, has been successful in the markets that they've entered and the cities they've entered into. So it's a, a bit of a later stage. The growth profiles will be different, right? Because um, you know the Ever transaction was a development stage business, but with partnerships that people were evaluating and uh, an awful lot of promise, but um, therefore their, their growth trajectory is by definition faster because they're starting from a much, much smaller base. Um, I think that, you know, in this environment, uh, we've gone back to an environment where companies that are in development stage are probably more likely to focus on venture capital in a private context, um, and, but companies that are, uh, have scaled and have proven their business models um, you know, have the choice to think about additional private capital or, or getting public. I, I think that we, even the, the AVA deal, like, you know, we were marketing that pipe in, in the middle of the presidential election, which was also a very tough time. And so we're no strangers to having to be creative and uh, thinking about how to structure transactions uh, that people will want to uh, complete. Um, you know, we, we created the right incentives to get those deals done. We're going to be creating the right incentives to get this deal done. If anything, we also just feel like having been sponsors and also co-sponsors of, of other transactions, we just know a, a broader swath of the participants and we know who's still looking at deals in this environment and who's hitting pause and who wants uh, what structures and which advisors are, are uh, effective uh, and, and which of them are probably um, you know, more, more uh, fair weather friends, if you will, um, different intermediaries, different investors. So I think that being a serial sponsor and uh, creates a lot of synergies across the different vehicles one, one manages. And we certainly have been speaking to folks who have done business with us before and, and are willing to have discussions right now where, you know, an ordinary way placement process run by 
a third party bank to just go out broadly. I don't think that works in the environment. You have to be surgical, you have to have uh, established relationships and, uh, and have people who want to take your call and hear the story. And I think that that's what I think we, we benefited from uh, our prior deal and prior deals as, as being sponsors of multiple vehicles concurrently right now. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to get into next with you on that. Just, you know, because as you mentioned, you do have another pending deal going at the same time. You also have Interprivate 4 still searching out there. And, and I'm just interested to get a sense of sort of the, you're having, I'm sure, a ton of conversations throughout this kind of difficult market. And I'm just interested in what your perspective is on kind of what it feels like the market wants right now. What what are people willing to fund right now? And it's just one of those peculiarities of the of the SPAC process. Even though it's faster than IPO process, you still end up, the, the market is going to shift a little bit in between, you know, when you IPO. IPO is back, you know, do a deal and then have to get it to close. What are sort of the kind of the important things that I think SPACs are having to, to, to really be nimble about right now? Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, obviously there were tailwinds, maybe too many tailwinds, uh, you know, a year or two ago with too many folks getting involved who were perhaps not that experienced uh, with the product, but jumped on the bandwagon and lots of investors who were kind of in it for a quick flip. Um, and that was working until it didn't work. I think in the current environment, um, you're going to have a uh, a weeding out of a lot of sponsors. You're going to have weeding out a lot of companies, some companies that also completed these facts but didn't raise enough capital are facing challenges and then may go away and be delisted or be acquired or or even go under. And those are unfortunate things we you know, anyone sees in a bear market. Um, and I think they're just amplified in in the SPAC world. I, I do think that you know, I think that the SPAC world, to the extent that one can make a statement about the, the types of companies that we see and that can be successful in this environment, they do have to be more mature. They do have to be profitable or have a very quick path to profitability that is very visible to uh, to the market. And I think that you know that is not unique to SPACs. I think if you're trying to do an IPO right now, uh, which again is challenging, performance of recent IPOs has suffered substantially. And in and, and many ways, uh, you we have seen some SPACs uh, that have outperformed traditional IPOs. Many SPACs would not. But at the end of the day, it, it really comes down to the company itself. And I think you know we had a wave of hyper growth, earlier stage situations that were getting public maybe sooner than they should in without enough capital. And I, I come back and underscore without enough capital, because if you complete a deal and the stock price is down, but you have plenty of capital, you have lots of breathing room. So you can talk about Ava where, you know, we, we, we raised, you know, half a billion dollars. And so there's plenty of runway, you know, from when it, when it closed until uh, the plan gets executed. When we talk about get around, there is committed capital and the runway to, necessary is much shorter because of the conservative approach they're taking to cash burn. Um, so as you look at now, what kind of companies we are interested in, they are a different flavor from what we were looking at uh, a year or two ago. And that's just a reflection of that the market's uh, appetite uh, has shifted. And, and yet there are companies that uh, fit that mold and will will be pursuing them. I, I would say that but for some of the, the noise around this product, this actually is a product that would have done quite well in this environment. There's obviously regulatory uncertainty that people are getting through and so on and so forth. But when the regular way IPO window is shut, that is exactly when deal certainty, which you can negotiate to achieve for the right target in a SPAC transaction is valuable and viable 
Whereas a traditional IPO roadshow, you may start that and then have to pull the IPO at the last minute, as we've seen with lots of companies. We can use these incentive structures to uh, attract more capital. Um, we won't need it to close per se, but we are going to have um, you know, bonus shares available for the folks who do decide to stay in the, in the SPAC transaction as incentive. And that's not something you can do in a regular way IPO. So you can use this structure to, uh, to attract more capital uh, you know, to the transaction. And, and it's something that we have uh, decided to do in this transaction, which, which means that everybody who stays in um, you know, can have a, a, a increase the equity exposure um, as a result of, uh, of not redeeming from the trust. So that sort of structure is one that has been used before, but it is one of the things that is unique to a, a SPAC transaction or a business combination that you can't do in a regular IPO in order to incentivize capital in, in a difficult environment. And then GetAround has also gone to M&A for growth with your acquisition of Drivi in the French market. Do you see more potential for that down the road? And ultimately, how will a public listing make that easier for you? Yeah, I do think that there is definitely within this space a lot of, when you, when you look globally, for sure, a lot of smaller players that are in one or two markets, definitely as a marketplace. And certainly, you know, with the unique, unique technology we bring to bear, it makes sense to, to look at potential consolidation on a case-by-case -case basis in each of those markets. We certainly did that to enter Europe as we felt the European opportunity, you know, is, is very progressive. Um, obviously, they're on the tip of the spear with respect to electrification and congestion pricing and trying to really move people away from just driving cars everywhere and, and getting people into more livable, walkable patterns of life. And so we felt that that was a, a very effective way and has been very successful for us in entering Europe on, on the basis of M&A. So we'll certainly consider it. And of course, you know, doing that as a public company, we believe just makes the, those transactions a little, because you have a liquid currency in the form of the stock that can be helpful. Although I'll say right now, that's not you know something that we have um, exacting plans around, but certainly we'd be opportunistic for the right potential partners as we continue to look at markets where we're uh, we, we, want, we would like to enter. And that, that's also one of the reasons getting public makes sense, right? Because if you go out and, and want to talk about acquisition currency, targets are much more interested in having liquid stock than private stock that they don't control, right? If you're a founder of a company, you control your company or you're, you're the significant player, you're fine being private in that context, but being acquired for you know anything other than cash, it, you, know, you end up with illiquid private stock unless you're dealing with public counterparties. So... Again, we get around and other targets we see, one of the motivations is that the currency becomes uh, viable for strategic growth. Right. And then just going off of that, are you looking at any other potential revenue streams that could possibly be added to the platform for either side of the transaction? You know, we do see a lot of opportunity, obviously, around the idea of there's a lot that as a host has to do to, to maintain service and, and just operate a vehicle. And there's a full automotive ecosystem that wraps around the car itself. Of course, that's a still today a very manual ecosystem. So again, when you look at our technology, which is digital, is connected, allows you to know exactly where the car is to get remote access. There's a lot of opportunity to make it easier for hosts to find digitally connected service providers to, to perform those various functions, whether it's 
related to servicing a car, cleaning a car, insuring a car, even acquiring or remarketing a vehicle. So we believe that there's a lot of opportunity there. It is something that we are developing as a, as a, a partnership ecosystem and continuing to enhance that to just make it easier and simpler for people to then obviously own and operate vehicles that they share on, on the marketplace. And of course, there are, is revenue potential around all of that as well as revenue potential around the data. But the core focus for us is really just making it, you know, just taking as much friction out because we believe that's the biggest driver of, of top line growth. Great. That's, that's very exciting. You know, for just such a, a new company that has a really new take on some of this great digitization that we've been seeing being a major driver in the economy. And at a time when you know, there may be some uncertainty, but there's still, it seems like a lot more that GetAround can, can touch upon and, can, and new markets it can get to. It's just going to be a really fun company to continue to watch. And thanks so much for both of you to be on. Thank you for having us.